They feel like they've been shut out of society, but getting them a job again and helping them through all of that starts to build their self-worth again, their self-esteem, all of that stuff. They, they begin to think again, oh yeah, this is who I am. This is, this is what I am all about. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association, Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, our guest is Rob Harmon of the Association's A Better Way program, which is aimed at reducing panhandling in Tulsa. But Rob's fans probably know him better as graphic novelist Robert Soule. Today, we're going to talk to Rob about his upcoming graphic novel signing set for 2 to 3 p.m. Tuesday, March 10th at the association's Coffee First kiosk, and that is located in the Legacy Plaza Conference Center's lobby, which is in the East Tower of Legacy Plaza, found at 5330 East 31st Street in Tulsa. So Rob's graphic novel is titled Ruined My Rhythm. It's a four-volume graphic novel that takes place here in Tulsa. It touches on issues such as homelessness, suicide awareness, and addiction. It is illustrated by 19-year-old Luna Cooper. When the main character, Maria, a sketch artist whose drawings may or may not be causing things to happen, loses her mother, Maria comes to Tulsa in search of her father. I know you're going to love this story. Okay, so let's get started. The mental health download starts now. So Rob Harmon, buddy, thank you so much for being here on the mental health download. Of course, no problem. Happy to be here. For people who are unfamiliar with The Better Way, I'll leave it to Rob to explain this amazing program. That's a partnership between the city of Tulsa and Mental Health Association Oklahoma. Yeah, so um, Mental Health Association Oklahoma for a very long time has had all their... Uh, you know, efforts aimed towards people experiencing homelessness and uh, and part of that population plenty of times are uh, people who are panhandling. And so uh, the mayor had in mind to see what Tulsa could do in partnership with organizations like uh, the Mental Health Association to figure out how to help panhandlers get off the streets, get you know, back to work, things like that, figure out what their issues are in order to help them not feel like that's their only option. And so they were all wanting to go to Albuquerque where the original um, kind of program like this uh, started. And so they went out there, they came back, were completely convinced that um, the same kind of program um, obviously altered to Tulsa since the cities are not the same. But, you know, figuring out a way to reach out to panhandlers, give them an opportunity to earn some cash, um, serving the community by maybe cleaning up parks, things like that, uh, giving them some cash, and then have giving them an opportunity to connect with someone or, you know, a program that could give them a connection to employers uh, that are ready to work with uh, people who've been out of the workforce for a while. That's what we've been doing since, um, you know, March of 2018. And so specifically, you know, going around in a van that carries up to eight people, meeting potential panhandlers, meeting people who are actually holding up a sign, uh, asking them if they'd like to earn cash right then and there to help us clean up some parks. And, um, and so they work with our van driver. And, um, and so he takes them out to different parks that have been designated, uh, that need some attention. 
Uh, we might do some mulch, mulching around playgrounds that are in those parks. Um, you know, we're picking up trash uh, with some grabbers. And, and so we may have a crew up to, uh, up to eight people who have never actually interacted with us before helping us clean up parks and then giving us enough information to know how to, you know, to meet with them again in order to find out, you know, what their skills are, what they used to do. Because right now they're panhandling and probably have most of them tell us that, you know, they've wanted to get back into the workforce, but because of various barriers like lack of IDs. Obviously, if many of them are uh, homeless, they are living in a shelter or staying in a tent uh, somewhere, making it very difficult to go to interviews, things like that. So we we meet with them, figure out what their barriers are, and then really, honestly, what it all comes down to is inspiring hope. So, you know, we, we, we will encourage them that, hey, listen, people just like you have you know, had amazing careers in the past, have lost hope because it's difficult to get back into the workforce sometimes, have sat down with us, have, uh, you know, hashed through some things, figured out some things, how we can, you know, connect you with a business owner. They've gotten jobs the next day. And, and we're not talking about day labor necessarily. We're talking about jobs where the employer is ready to work with this person, pay them a decent wage, give them full-time benefits, things like that. So it's, it's been pretty amazing. Okay, Rob. Now let's talk about the origin of your graphic novels. Yeah. Um, my wife, uh, she and I uh, were at the 2015 Wizard World Comic Con, and um, I'd never been to anything like that before. Uh, I've been writing a long time, but I've never really been a part of any kind of pop culture, you know, groups, or, or I've never been to any one of those conventions before. I, I read one comic book growing up and that was a doctor who comic book so you know there was a, i would go to a comic book store and there'd be doctor strange i'd be like i don't know who this doctor strange is where's doctor who so you know that was my only connection at all with any kind of comic con but you know I've, I've written short stories i've written some screenplays in my younger years i was in a few independent films in texas that were filmed in texas and um you know i've always kind of done a little bit of acting but i wrote this screenplay that, you know, was supposed to be about a teenage sketch artist. Um, and when I ran into Luna and Maya Cooper, who were doing their own comic book by that time, like three years, they were 15 years old at this, at, at this convention. They had their own table. They were showing everybody their impressive artwork. They were doing commissions. They, they were selling their comic book. And when I, I, I stood there talking to them, you know, my wife and I kind of looked at each other and you know, blown away by their artwork. And then the story that I'd written came to my mind and I thought, you know what? Luna is Latina. And this this story is about a Latina sketch artist, a teenager. And, you know, for a while I felt like, you know what? I, you know, I don't know why I was drawn to write about this character, but I felt as time went by, I kind of felt like I would be appropriating a culture. You know, I'm not Latino, but Luna and Maya, they are. And and so the next day I brought them a flash drive of uh, uh, that, that contained the story that I had written. And I said, if you like the story, if you if you first of all have the time to read it, um, 
you know, I'd love to see if maybe we could work on it. And I didn't hear from them for about a month, but about a month later, I I, I heard from Luna and uh, actually heard from her mom. They both read it and enjoyed it. So my wife and I went up to meet their family in Springfield, Missouri. They've got six girls in their family. They're all amazing artists. Um, I mean, really and truly exceptional artists. And so Three months after I met Luna, we we signed a contract that basically said how how much I would be paying her to do the illustrations and and all of the deadlines and everything. And we started on volume one, and uh, and that came out in 2016. And so I went from 2015 visiting my first Comic Con to 2016 actually having my own table and selling volume one of Ruin My Rhythm, which is a story set in Tulsa uh, about a teenage sketch artist whose drawings may or may not be causing things to happen. And there's all kinds of locations in Tulsa that you would see throughout the book. And um, and since then, we've come out with volume two, three, and four. And volume four is actually the last volume. Uh, the story is complete. And so, you know, the bulk of the story takes place in Tulsa, which... Um, you know, I moved away from Tulsa when I was younger and never thought I would move back to Tulsa. But when I moved back here, I realized, you know, this is my hometown and there's so many amazing things about Tulsa. There's so many amazing people. Um, and so to set this story in Tulsa means a lot to me. But I think in my... Um, you know, my connection with the Mental Health Association and with other agencies that I've been able to have the pleasure to work for and work with, there's, you know, a special place in my heart for people experiencing homelessness, uh, people with mental health issues. Um, and so this book really is geared towards helping, you know, people that are in that same position or who have experienced similar things to really see some hope, you know, come out of this story. Can you give us some examples of something that happens in the book related to homelessness? Yeah. So Maria is the main character. And when her mother dies, she is in foster care in Springfield, Missouri, and she's really not even begun to grieve over losing her mother. And she has no other family members, so she's in a foster home. And, and she, you know, the, the, the book doesn't go into great detail, but she's been through a few different foster homes. She has a, a very um, heated discussion with one of her high school counselors um, about her attendance. And when, when she leaves the, the room, she decides, you know what, I'm going to go try to find my dad, who she thinks may be in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So she, she uh, steals from her foster family in order to buy a bus ticket to get to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when she gets to Tulsa, she gets her backpack stolen, which had the remaining money. And she then is trying to figure out, well, where am I going to stay? So one of the first places she stays is, is, uh, you know, in Centennial Park and uh, right there in Tulsa on 6th and Peoria about there. And um, and so, you know, then she's trying to stay in an abandoned building. The cops come, um, you know, she barely escapes, you know, the cops, you know, the police are are, are trying to get her to, to, to leave. So she's on a day-to-day -day basis trying to figure out, you know, how she, how can she find her dad, but also, you know, where is she going to stay? And so, you know, that's maybe one example there. Without giving too much of the story away, Rob, explain how suicide plays into the story. The idea of QPR, which is question, persuade, and refer, is sort of an introduction to a really good way to look at um, 
you know, suicide uh, awareness, suicide prevention, because um, anybody who has contemplated suicide typically you know, has some things that you can notice. Uh, they, they may not necessarily do all of the things that they're normally doing. They're, you know, they may, they may sometimes give away things because they're, they're seriously thinking that, you know, that's the only choice that they have. Um, but, you know, there's a number of things you can, you can notice, of course, if, if someone around you may be thinking about that. But I think what is, um, important is to ask the question, you know, are you thinking of committing suicide? Are you thinking of, you know, of, of doing something like that? And that's a difficult, awkward question. But if you, if you think about the number of people every day that actually attempt suicide, you know, it's, it's important for us to be willing to ask that question. So at the end of volume four, we, we, we don't necessarily use everything that's involved with QPR, but we do certainly use the very same principles to just introduce the idea of, Hey, listen, um, if you think that someone, you know, um, is considering suicide, if they show signs that maybe they're um, thinking about that, ask the question and ask it, you know, um, sincerely ask it with, you know, directly. And then, of course, be willing to help them, um, you know, pursue help. And so, you know, call the nationwide number, call a local number for for the crisis center um, in order to, you know, and do it with them, even if, it, even if they're uncomfortable, really you know, persuade them in order to help them take the steps. Because most people that you ask, if they actually were thinking that, they are relieved that someone has opened up dialogue because, you know, it's not something that, um, you know, anybody really wants to do. You, they may feel that way, but they're also going to feel comforted knowing that someone has cared enough to ask the awkward question. So, um, yeah, there's a four-page sort of uh, little talk at the end with a couple of the characters after the story is complete at the end of volume four, just to kind of touch on it. Because throughout the story, volumes one through four, there's a character that uh, does eventually attempt um, and and some people do intervene. And so, you know, I gave away a little bit of that, but it's, you know, it's an important part of the story. So can you tell us what kind of conversations maybe you've had with your fans about homelessness and suicide? Yeah. So at the release party for volume four, we, we, uh, we had a great turnout. We had it at, at Circle Cinema. Um, we had uh, a woman named Barbara who, uh, was visiting. I'd never met her before, but, um, you know, her son did die by suicide. And, um, and so she was, uh, very impacted by the book and, you know, was very encouraged that, you know, the excerpt had, you know, from at the end, uh, addresses suicide awareness. And, um, and so that kind of story was not something I expected, you know, right away, but it was really pretty amazing to see uh, that uh, it could be used in order to encourage people. So Rob, let's say that your story's main character, Maria, is experiencing homelessness here in Tulsa, maybe at Centennial Park. And Rob... The, a better way employment specialist stops to help her. What would happen next for Maria? Absolutely. Yeah. So we, um, after, after we would work with them for the day at, at you know, for helping clean up parks and things, they would get their $65 cash. Um, at, 
when they get that cash, we give them an opportunity to set up an appointment for the next day most of the time. So, you know, we make it pretty easy. They know where to go. Uh, you know, we, we, we do all of our intakes at the Denver house. And so, you know, if, if Maria comes back the next morning at nine o'clock in the morning, our uh, program uh, coordinator will make sure that uh, she asks her all of the, the things like, you know, what are you what are you struggling with in terms of your basic needs? This kind of thing. Are you staying in a shelter? Are you staying on the street? What's going on there? And then, of course, I would do a career profile where, you know, if, if Maria is interested in a job, I'd be able to find out what she likes, what she doesn't like to do for, you know, job, what her skills are, maybe what her, her interests are that maybe she's never had an opportunity to, um, you know, work here or work there. And then, of course, by that time, Lisa, our, you know, our program coordinator would be able to to uh, kind of maybe connect her with filling out an application for uh, Walker Hall, which is a great place for young people to go stay if there's a vacancy, you know, you know, if they qualify um, or, you know, we might suggest maybe uh, use services of Tulsa, that kind of thing. But for me, you know, I'm, I'm helping people get jobs as quickly as possible. And so, if a person gets a job, say the next day, and they're making twelve dollars an hour, um, they may be. We may be able to, you know, steer them in the direction of an apartment that, uh, you know, where they could get subsidized and get into an apartment pretty quickly. So, Rob, I've I've seen on your social media that you're a big fan of our Coffee First program, and obviously, you're going to have your book signing there on Tuesday. And as you know, Coffee First hires people who need a second chance at employment. Do you think Maria would be a good fit for Coffee First? If she was real? Yeah. Um, that's what I love about what I do is that somebody could sit down with me and I might think, I might look at them, you know, and make some kind of prejudged idea about uh, what I think they could do. But then they're sharing with me everything that they've done. And I'm just blown away by what people have been able to do, you know, like electrician, um, you know, a plumber, you know, for someone like Maria, you know, if she's only you know, 18 years old, maybe she's never, you know, done the, the plumber's apprenticeship, you know, but maybe she has um, done a certain amount of customer service. Maybe she's, um, you know, very good at sales, or maybe she uh, is, um, you know, she's served at a restaurant or something like that. So it's really just a matter of what they share with me and what they want to do and what they've, you know, done in the past. So, you know, it could really be a number of things. I mean, we've we've got connections with hotels that you know have multiple jobs. Some of the casinos, there's a lot of jobs there. Um, there's a paper company in Tulsa called Tulsac that uh, is is extremely welcoming to diverse populations and people that. Um, you know, have gaps in employment, they will give them a chance. They'll interview them. They'll, they'll, they'll find out what really makes sense for them. And they'll, they'll, they'll put them in someplace where they can, you know, thrive and making pretty decent money. So it could be anything. And that's kind of the exciting thing is that, you know, we've been able to reach out to a lot of employers. And um, the main thing is, you know, after sitting down with, with someone, they will um, normally have some jobs they can go pursue. And if they let us know what they've pursued, we can kind of help them take the next steps. So one of the key things that I know about our employment program is that employment is therapy and people don't always understand that. So Rob, give us uh, your perspective on what employment is therapy means to you. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when, when you have 
tried really hard to, in any with with anything in life, and you failed for various reasons. Um, discouragement is is huge, and uh, and then of course you know clinically depression really is debilitating, and so the idea of someone you know, sitting down with you and listening to what you're really good at and what you've done in the past automatically starts to make you think, hmm, maybe I can, maybe I can get back in the game, you know? Um, and then of course, if, um, if we give them some really great leads and things like that, and they get back into work, what we've been told from the very beginning by the people we sit down with is if I could just get back to work, um, I'd be doing something with my hands, you know, I'd stay focused. Um, I'd, I'd, my mind wouldn't be, you know, going a million miles, you know, in this direction or that direction. I could, I could do something I enjoy doing and get paid for it and have that self-worth that, you know, I haven't had for so long. And, and we see it, you know, we, when a person starts to work, you hear it in their voice. The next time you talk to them, they're like, yeah, everything's going great. You know, they call me the beast, you know, those kind of things. And, and they are just night and day different. And so, of course, it, you know, this is this is affecting people in different ways. But we do see a lot how it's, it is a, a, a form of therapy, a form of treatment where the person is feeling aimless, you know, because they, they don't know what to do with their life. They feel like they've been shut out of society, but getting them a job again and helping them through all of that starts to build their self-worth again, their self-esteem, all of that stuff. They, they begin to think again, oh yeah, this is who I am. This is, this is what I am all about. And you know, I'm still able to give to society. And so it is huge. People who may have issues with drinking, may have issues with drugs, numbers of, of things like that, they tell me, you know what, I've got my focus back. Um, I'm still not out of the woods, but I'm working and, you know, I, I might be in a better situation where I can go get some treatment or meet with some people, you know, in groups, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. So it is definitely a tremendous way to help somebody get out of the woods. Okay. So in 2019, the A Better Way team helped people achieve a total of 148 job placements. That is incredible. And one of those jobs placements was Christina, who went from a better way right to work at the Coffee First kiosk. So can you explain a bit about how that happened for Christina? Yeah, you know, um, <laughs> the the being a barista, I think, for her has has given her, you know, so much because she had she was kind of couch surfing before. Now she has her own place. Um, and, you know, it's just really been tremendous for her. But, you know, I just think that with with her, it was just a matter of, you know, the Mental Health Association is constantly dreaming of what's what's the next thing we can do to make an impact on Tulsa and on Oklahoma. And um, so it was amazing timing. But, you know, it's going to be amazing timing for a lot of people going forward with Coffee First um, as they look for ways to expand. And then, you know, other social enterprises that our eyes have been open to because we're so embedded in, you know, employment like we never have before. And so there are other social enterprises that we can help foster that we may be able to add to what the Mental Health Association does. But for you know, but for Christina, it's, you know, it's just been, we've, we've been able to not only help 
uh, people get jobs in the community. But through this social enterprise, we've been able to, to say, okay, you no longer have to consider panhandling today. Now you can go be a barista and get some training that you otherwise would never have gotten before. And who knows what she's going to do after this? You know, she's She's um, she's a sharp person. She's got a great personality, you know, really witty, uh, you know, and, and, you know, she's been given some responsibility since it's a smaller, um, you know, coffee kiosk. And those responsibilities um, she's going to be able to take to the, the next thing she does and she's going to make better money. You know, it's just a really great thing. Okay, Rob. So we're running low on time, but I want to ask what your next project is. Yeah, you know, um, I've kind of hesitated to share too much, but we're so close to actually having this nailed down. I have to share it. So, uh, a Mecca Naka, a lot of people know this gentleman. Um, he's he's really made a huge impact in the city of Tulsa and around the country. Really, um, he is a, a he's a guy that was a football player uh, that was injured on the field and uh, was paralyzed. And uh, since then, he has um, just been determined to rehab and not just rehab and not just kind of figure out, how, well, how do I live the rest of my life? He's really been the kind of person that everyone who's ever met him realizes that he is living life to the full and he's not letting anything be considered an obstacle in his life. Uh, he, you know, he's got such a, a really cool story and such a great outlook on life and personality, just magnetic and charismatic. Well, I met him a, a, a number of months ago and um, and just heard his story and was blown away. And so I, you know, to, to put it in a nutshell, um, I met a director who um, did an amazing um, documentary called Albright. And it was uh, one of the teachers here in Oklahoma that ran for um, a public office that actually won in order to help teachers in Oklahoma have stronger advocacy. And he made a documentary of that and it was amazing. Um, and I and I just started putting two and two together. So the next thing that I intended to work on is with this director, Ethan Cooper, um, Ameka and uh, he and I have an agreement to um, to do a documentary on Ameka's life. And so we don't know yet exactly where that's going, but um, you know we're working on the details and the hope is to um, you know really be able to have the kind of film that at film festivals will really make an impact, give us an opportunity to to spread Ameka's story in a wider you know range, um, and then of course the same director Ethan Cooper and I have talked about um, making a full length feature film of Ruin My Rhythm so that we can have the next uh, you know film set in Tulsa like we've seen in in times past. And, uh, you know, right now filmmakers are coming to Oklahoma, you know, and excited to film in Oklahoma. TV shows are, you know, being filmed in Oklahoma and in Tulsa. So uh, I'm excited that, uh, you know, my story could potentially, you know, be a part of that. Wow. That is, that's super exciting, man. So can you tell people where they can purchase your graphic novel and how they can follow you on social media? Yeah, absolutely. So um, our website is soulfictionfactory.com. You can purchase our books there. Um, But throughout town, um, Decopolis downtown, Mother Road Market, Witty Books, um, Mammoth Comics, Wizard Asylum, um, there's um, Buck Adams 
uh, you, you can you can purchase our books at any of those places and um, you know it's uh, it's pretty cool we've had a lot of support uh, eventually our our four volumes will be in one book and uh, so the intention is to find a publisher who can actually uh, you know distribute that nationwide so it'll be in any bookstore you find around the country and comic book stores of course All right, Rob, that's that's all the time we've got. So as you know, at the end of every podcast, we ask the guests to share a few parting words and then say our rallying cry, which is go do good things, which you're doing every day with a better way. So thank you so much. So so Rob, take it away, buddy. So tell the person you love, tell the people around you how much you care about them and go do good things. <laughs>